Welcome to Waters Church again. My name is Tim. I'm the campus pastor here. We are one church in three locations. We're in Norwood. We're here in North Attleboro, and we're in Taunton, Massachusetts. And we are in a series called Death by Marriage. And this has been a very powerful series for our church. A lot of people get a lot of stuff out of it. Uh, Our um, tech guys told me that last week they saw more men's arms around their ladies last weekend. And so that was a good sign. Things are moving in the positive direction. And so we're happy about that. And then last week in the series, we talked about what every wife needs in a husband. What every wife needs in a husband. It went very well teaching with my wife because what happened was by us teaching that together and working on it together all week, uh, she held me accountable, very (laughs) accountable. To everything that we tried to look good saying. And I thought, and, and it was planned that I was going to do today is alone. And, you know, what every wife needs in a husband, I mean, what every husband needs in a wife. Because I got that one. That one's down. But then I thought about this. What's fair is fair. All right? And I asked my beautiful wife, Cheryl, again to come on up here and teach with me so that I can hold her accountable this week. And so everybody give her a hand for my wife. She's up here with me again. Yeah. So, so glad to have her with me. So, happy husband, happy house. Last week, happy wife, happy life. Today, happy husband, happy house. What every husband needs in a wife. And we want to say a welcome to our Taunton campus. Who watches these messages by video? Hello, Taunton. Everybody in North Attleboro, let's give them a hand. Welcome them in. Good to see you. Glad you are here. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, again, is going to be the uh, place to go for today's study. And um, it talked about husbands last week. Today, we're going to talk about the wives portion. And so, part three, death by marriage, what every husband needs in a wife. Special Father's Day message for you guys. Here's what it says, Ephesians 5, 22, and it's going to be up on the screen, just in case you don't have a Bible with you. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Let's stop there. There is a ton of negative press on this scripture. In our world, in our modern society, it's like people read that scripture and they're like, no, ah, wives submit, that's old-fashioned, that's, that's, you know, domination, that's subjugation, and we talked about this last week, and I want to reinforce it again. If the man does his job of loving the wife as Christ loved the church, sacrificially giving himself up for her, and laying down his prerogatives as a man of the home, and setting the example for everybody in that home to be selfless, then the idea of a woman submitting to that should be no problem. Because she's going to see his selflessness and say, you really love me. I have no problem letting you lead and and having this authority structure in my life that is absolutely godly. Remember, Christ is the example. So ladies, we're not sitting here saying, and my wife is up here to back me up with this, that if he's beating you and if he's treating you like garbage, just not sit there and take it and, and sit there and say, you know, lay another one on me. That's not. That's not what the Bible ever teaches, and the Bible would never, and God would never want that for any woman. And so, again, let's make sure that we're clear about this 
scenario from the scriptures. And the word submission, huge, huge red word. And, you know, flags go up when people hear that word. Look at the word, okay? The word has two parts to it. Sub and mission. Sub means to go under. And mission is calling, purpose, plan. So what it really means is this. Wives, submit your lives. Put yourselves under the plan that God has for your family. The plan that God has for your man. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, he says, look, in this mission, you're equal partners. You're equal in value. But you're not equal in purpose. Men can do things women can't do. Women can do things men can't do. And vice versa. And so it goes on and on and on. And both sexes come together in marriage. And they complement each other. And they make a beautiful picture of what God wants for us and his church. Uh, for us and Jesus. All right? So, with that in mind, what does a husband need from a wife? We've got, we had three things last week uh, for you uh, men to do for your wives. We had uh, leadership. We had, I'm sorry, we had security. You've got to lay it down for her in security. Create secure, a secure life for her. Provide for her. Take care of her. Guard her. Protect her. Make sure that she's the only one in your radar screen for her. And then we talked about leadership. Lead her. Set the example. Um, uh, you know, be responsible for the family. Take charge. Not bad charge, but good charge of the family and care for them. And then lastly, we talked about communication. And that was using your mouth and talking things through with your wife and you will get you will bless her and you will you will benefit her and men it was all about dying to yourself to make that happen so today it's about women dying to yourself death by marriage death to self so the marriage can live genesis 2:18 number one thing that guys need from a wife husbands need from a wife it says this in genesis 2:18 then the lord god said it is not good that the man should be alone somebody say alone he says i will make him a helper and if you have a Bible and you're going to circle and underline, underline those two words, helper fit. Those, those are very important words. A helper fit for him. In the NIV it says a helper suitable for him. The first thing husbands need from a wife is help. Help. We are in need of your help. Now, the word help in English, it sounds kind of like, you know, little, belittling. Like it's not really that important. Like for instance, if I ask my son, who is seven years old, Connor, uh, he turns eight in 15 days, if I ask him to help me change the tires on Cheryl's car, obviously I don't need him there. I, it's nice to have him hold the lug nuts, it's nice to have him hand me a towel, it's nice for him to be there, I really don't need, sometimes in that case it's like the help just kind of gets in the way. And in our minds, in the English words, we think of help like that, we think, well, help is nice to have, but it's not really necessary. Let me tell you, that's not what this Bible, that's not what this verse is saying. The word helper in the Hebrew is ezer, E-Z-E-R, it is a very important word in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible. 17 times the Bible uses this word ezer in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament. 17 times. 14 of those times, it's referring to God. In other words, that's the kind of help. That's how important she is. It's not this nice to have you around. I could really do this better myself, but nice to have you around so you feel important. That's not the kind of help that a man needs. It's actually complementarian. It's essential. It's empowering. Just like God is to us. Can anybody here get along without God's help? That's how it is with men and their wives. In other words, husbands, we need them. 
Man, you guys had a golden opportunity to say amen there. <laughs> Could have gone very well for you tonight, but you blew it, okay? We need our wives. Now, there are some women that complain like this. They say this. My husband is so helpless sometimes. Yes, he is. And you should be glad that he's helpless because if he wasn't helpless, God wouldn't have made you. You see, the reason why you are here is because he is helpless. I can't do many of the things that Cheryl does in our home. I can't. I'm not patient with the kids. <laughs> I, I am not a natural caregiver. My, my, my fatherly advice is grow up. Deal with it. Get over it. Stop crying. What's wrong with you? You know. And uh, actually, I make things worse by doing that. So Jesus calls the Holy Spirit our helper. The Holy Spirit is essential to our lives. So too, wives are essential to their husbands' lives. And um, Craig Grishel says it like this. He says, wives can either make a weak man strong or a, uh, sorry, um, yeah. yeah, a weak man strong or a, a weak man weaker. So it's up to us to bring that out in our husbands. Um, another understanding of the word helper in Genesis 2 verse 18 is companion or friend. So men need our friendship. And the Bible defines friendship in Proverbs like this. The message says it in Proverbs 17, 17. Friends love through all kinds of weather and families stick together in all kinds of trouble. Um, Proverbs 18.24 says, A friend sticks closer than a brother. And Proverbs 27, verse 9 says, The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. Men need to have that kind of relationship with us, a friend. Um, you know, some, peop some wives say this, and, and, uh, and it might be going through your head, Well, that's what I do. I help him, you know. I help him all the time. I help him because he's lazy around the house, and I help him get motivated, and I help him because he stinks with the kids, and I tell him what he's doing wrong all the time, and then, you know, he doesn't think properly, he doesn't speak properly. All this. So you think you're helping him, and you're just, like, on him about everything, and you think that's help. That's not help. Look, it says that the, 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 the counsel of a friend is sweet, <laughs> underlined sweet, as perfume and incense. You're there to be, you're, you're there to be a positive reinforcement. Something that I've learned since I've been married is that nagging does not work. No, it doesn't. <laughs> so, you know, approaching it in a better way. Just like, you know, boys at Little League, they respond really well to positive reinforcement. So do men. Positive <laughs> reinforcement. <laughs> <laughs> we want you to say nice things about us. And that brings us to number two, if you're taking notes. The R stands for respect. Um, a man's number one need, look, many think it's something else. We'll get to that. A man's number one need from his wife is respect. Ephesians 5.33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. That's a man's job. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, this word respect, it means to reverence. It means to venerate. It means to stand in awe of. It means to have a high esteem of and a high valuation for. Last week I was on you guys, and I said this very clearly. Hear me again. Men, if you speak in insecure terms to your wife, she does not hear you. She shuts you off. Wives, 
if you speak in disrespecting terms to your husband, he shuts you off. You can't talk to him and dishonor him. It will destroy him and it will turn him off from you. So look, the Bible talks about love, right? We all know love, yes. Husbands should love their wives. And there is no qualification for it, by the way. The Bible just commands it. It's not feel love, right? He doesn't say, okay, if you feel like loving her, then love her. No, no, no. He says love her irregardless of, regardless of the feelings. It's not about what you feel. It's about what you do. Love is an action. Love is not an emotion. Love is a verb. So let's apply the same principle to this commandment right here. God, ladies, what I'm saying is this. You can't wait until you feel respect for him. You, a lot of women do this. Well, as soon as he's respectable, then I'll respect him. You can't do that. Because you're expecting him to love you without, without qualification. And so it should go the opposite way as well. That wives, you say, look, he's the man of the house, and I'm going to make him feel like he is awesome. I'm going to respect him. If, even if he does things that I can't stand, I'm going to still respect him. And look, a great point is this, the president. All right, Now, I don't care what your right-wing, left-wing, conservative, Democrat, I don't care. Listen, he's the president. And if he was to walk in this room right now, you could be the most ardent opponent of him. But if he was to walk in this room, you would respect him. We would all stand up. We would applaud. We would say, whoa, the president is in the house, right? Because it's the office. We respect that as Americans. That's what makes us a great country. We can disagree, but we can disagree in a respectful term. And what you see on cable news is not that. All right? There's a lot of wives doing cable news with their husbands, always tearing them down, disrespecting them, making them feel like a loser. Look, he needs Respect. He needs, at the same time, praise. You need to praise your husband. I know this is like, what? Praise him for what? Find something that he is doing that is good and praise him for it. I want to tell you why. In 2009, a survey was done. In 2009, and it produced this result. 70% of men in America, 70%. Uh, walk around with a little voice in their head. They, they feel like posers in life. What that means is they, they walk around with this voice inside of their head saying, you can't do it, you're a fraud, and pretty soon someone's going to find you out and expose you. Seven out of ten men feel like that in America, 2009 survey. Ladies, are you reinforcing that voice? Or are you trying to destroy it? Because they found out that the men who can silence that voice, and it, and it can be silenced, the men who can silence that voice become astonishing success stories. So this is our opportunity as wives to uh, silence that voice or reinforce that voice. Um, women tend to sit around in circles when they get into gatherings and tear their husbands down. And it's, I think it's a weakness of women. And a classic example of that would be... Um, as we all remember that show, John and Kate Plus 8, she destroyed him, and now she's just Kate Plus 8. <laughs> um, men do not respond well to that. 
Um, Proverbs 14.1 says, A wise woman builds her home, but mm. a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. So are you building him up or are you tearing him down? And Proverbs 31.10-12 says, Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her and great, she will greatly enrich his life. She brings good, not harm, all the days of her life. So that song, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, a lot of us thought it was written for us women by Aretha Franklin. Actually, that song was written by Otis Redding two years prior to her singing that song, and he wrote that song for his wife. And it just goes to show that a, a man's deepest cry of his soul is respect. She stole the song. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, basically, the thing that a man won't tell you, women, and, and, and this is, and I'm speaking for all men here, and I'm up here on the stage with the microphone, so I'll say it for you, is that, ladies, we want you to tell us that you're proud of us. We want that. Thank you. <laughs> it does. It helps. It strengthens us. It silences that voice inside of us. Because, look, we got a lot of stuff on our plate. We do. We're probably stressed out at work. We're probably stressed out with, you know, our job could be gone tomorrow. Who knows? I mean, the, the economy could tank again, and it's constantly weighing on our minds. Will I make it? Will I succeed? Will it be okay for me? And so, ladies, you know, you, if he comes home, and you're on about everything he's not doing at home, then guess what? You're just bringing that work environment of stress and anxiety to the home, and he's not happy. And if you don't have a happy husband, you don't have a happy house. One <laughs> thing that I've learned, too, is that men need to decompress. Us women, we don't really need to do that, but they need to decompress. So when he gets home, I literally just let him sit on the couch and do nothing. <laughs> that's his Not all night. No. No, Not half an hour. I give night. him a half an hour. And when the kids are screaming and things are going crazy. They don't scream a lot, but when yeah, they do. But when that, I'm not just plopping on the couch and ignoring their kids. No, but he does get to decompress. Otherwise, he's not any good to us. This is because, you know, if you... <laughs> <laughs> it's right. It's true. <laughs> Look, if you've ever uh, heard a man named Mark Gungor, he wrote a book called uh, Laugh, Your Way to a Happy, Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. And he said this, men's brains are different than women's brains. We all know this. Women's brains are all interconnected. Everything can, yeah, a wired mesh. Everything touches everything, and everything is connected to everything else. That's why a woman can multitask, and a man can single task. Only. And so what a brain, what the man's brain is, is men's brains are a series of boxes. And he has a box for the job, and a box for the money, and a box for, you know, you, and a box for sex, and a box for mother uh, your mother-in-law down in the basement. And, um... <laughs> And he, his brain works like it. He takes out a box. He opens the box. He talks and deals with only the things that are in that box. And he wraps up the box and puts it away, careful not to let that box touch any of the other boxes. You ever seen Mark Gungor? He does it much better than me. He is phenomenal about that. But we are singularly focused. And so we need to, we need to get home and we need to put our work box away and not pick it up again until the next morning when we have to go to work. And, and he so has a nothing box. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, takes the nothing box out and opens it up. He does. We have, a, we have a nothing box because this is why women will tell, uh, ask their husbands, what are you thinking? And he will say, nothing. And she doesn't believe him. <laughs> How can you be thinking about nothing? What do you mean you're not thinking about nothing? Because your minds are all working together on everything at the same time. 
Now, man, it's just like, no. And by the way, the nothing box is our favorite box. <laughs> we'll pull that out anytime. Okay, look, 1 Peter 3 says this, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, in other words, if any of them are not Christians, they may be won over without words. If you're in your Bible, underline without words. Without words. But by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity, and what's the next word? And reverence of your life. You respect him. Regardless of whether he has earned it at times. I mean, obviously, if he's beating you, don't respect that. If he's constantly, you know, belligerent towards you and ignores you and never loves you, that's not what we're asking you to respect. And that's not what the Bible is saying. Look, you've got to watch out for yourself in that situation. But you need to respect him and find things that are going to uh, build him up instead of tear him down. Uh, the Bible says this very funny scripture in Proverbs 29, 21, verse 9. Look at this on the, on the screen. It is better to live in a corner on the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. <laughs> in the Bible, just cool sometimes. In a, in ten verses later, same chapter says this. It is better to live in a desert than to share a house with a quarrelsome and fretful wife. Uh, ladies, let me say it because your husbands probably won't tell you. Nothing is more beautiful to us than a woman who honors us. It's beautiful. And men who cheat on their wives, it probably started because the honor he wasn't getting at home, he got from the other woman. And this is not to excuse it, but it does happen time and time and time and time again. Not always, though. Yeah, not always. Because the other fl the flip side is this. A woman will cheat on her husband because the guy she cheats on him with will talk to her and communicate with her, and the husband won't. Again, it's not excusing what happens. It's not. But it is showing us this is what we need. This is how we make this relationship airtight so that we are um, one in the Lord together. So we respect our husbands by showing him that we believe in him. And we need to also regard what he does a, as a career important. Um, sometimes we just seem to say, oh, well, that's what he does. But you know what? You've got to show them that you believe in them. This is very important to a man. Um, don't put impossible expectations on your husband. Some women complain, um, you know, he's supposed to be the spiritual leader and he should take charge and leading the kids with devotions, prayer. Um, we don't do that in, at our house. We don't really do devotions or things like that with our kids. Um, we teach them, but we teach them by bringing them to church. Right. Um, we tell them about Jesus, obviously, but we don't do that sit-down family devotions thing. Cheryl's family, your family didn't do it. No. My family didn't do it. But what did they do? They put a high premium on going to church, and they valued the Bible as the infallible word of God, and they submitted to that. And your kids are watching you. But everybody's, everybody's family is different. Ours is just, that's what works for us. Um, Galatians 5, 22 to 23 says, These are the, this is what is being spiritual. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what it is to be spiritual. Now, you do have to teach your kids. You do have to teach your kids about the Lord and the Bible. But in your home... You wives might be better at it than the man. 
it doesn't mean that he's not doing his job. It just means that in your context, you're the better option. So guess what, women? Do it. And then don't beat him up for not doing it. Because if he did it, he might stink at it. And he's not going to succeed at that. And when he doesn't feel like a success, he tends to wither away like we talked about last week. He takes his ball and goes home. Yep. So. All right, third, n- third thing that a man needs, a husband needs from a wife, and this is the one we're all dying to get to, is sex. <laughs> the S stands for sex. The statistics are these. A man needs sex on average every 72 hours, a husband. Okay, every three days, a man needs it. And the facts are this, okay, men think about sex twice as much as women. They do. Now, contrary to urban legend that a man thinks about sex every seven seconds, that's not true. The the psychology studies are out there, and it's really about once a day. About once a day, a man is thinking about sex. I don't know how long he's thinking about it, but he's thinking about it at least once a day. When uh, a man is um, over 60, he's not thinking about it that much, but he is still thinking about it on average twice as often as a woman. And so this is, and I want, you, I want you to hear me as a pastor, this is a legitimate need in a man's life. What we are living in is a culture that has hijacked the conversation on sex. And they have taken over. Have they not? They're like the authorities. And everything they say we listen to and we never hear the church talk about it at all. Let me talk about it. Let's, let's talk about it. I think that you need to hear the argument from Scripture because this book is not anti-sex. This is very pro-sex. But it's pro-sex in the marriage relationship between one man and one woman. The Bible's completely for it. Absolutely. God made them male and female. And he said, now leave, cleave. And become one. And now in the New Testament, Paul the Apostle writes this. I love this. In the King James Version, 1 Corinthians 7, 3 says, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. Now, (laughs) that's the King James Version, the old-fashioned version. Let me show you the newer version, the ESV, the one that I I trust. and I I I like the King James too, but this doesn't do it justice. Because the King James, they tried to purify everything. And say, and you know, you know, wipe it down and, and make it cleaner. Here's what it says in the ESV: the husband should give his wife her conjugal rights, and the wife likewise to her husband. And we all know conjugal. There's kids in the room. Do I have to go there? Okay. This is talking about you gotta give yourselves sexually to each other. And he goes on and he says this in the rest of the verse: for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And all the women are like, ah, see, you got to like the Bible. Okay, wait. Wait. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Oh, it's not so bad. Okay. (laughs) Do not deprive one another. And all the men said amen. Except perhaps by agreement. I want you to look at this. It doesn't say except that she has a headache. (laughs) It's got to be agreed on for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. 
but then come back together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Isn't the Bible cool? The only, listen, men and women and wives especially, listen very closely. The only legitimate excuse the Bible gives you for not having sex with your husband is prayer. Put the Advils away. <laughs> no, look, you got you to gotta care for each other in this scenario and love each other sexually because this is, this is a legitimate, it's a, it's a legitimate need of a man. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> we tend to hear things through our own needs. Uh, when a man wants sex, a woman hears, oh, he needs to be held. When a woman uh, wants to be held, a man hears, oh, she wants sex. So we tend to just go through what we think we need. Um, and, you know, it, we need to understand that men need this. And, of course, once you get married and things start to change, you have kids, it does get a little di difficult. So in going what Tim said, yes, men need it, but we have to be... You have to be... Uh, realistic. To realistic. I mean, you're standing in the kitchen and your wife's cooking... I mean, give her a break. <laughs> I'm sorry, just trying to keep it real. But that, you know, some men, I'm not talking about us. <laughs> no. Yeah. We're talking about somebody else. Husbands try to sometimes don't put on uh, real expectations on their wives. And in the same way, as men need this, we ha men have to understand, you know, families, kids, all those things that get in the way. It gets hard. It gets hard. So you actually do have to schedule it. You do. I mean, if that's what you have to do, you have to do. And I know, oh, that sounds so unspontaneous and unromantic. Look, when you're dating, I mean, you're not supposed to do it anyway, okay? <laughs> so stop it. And if you are, you, you, you're not doing it God's way. I'm just going to be honest with you. But at the same time, when you're married now, um, this is the great thing. When you're married, there's no rules. There's no rules about it. It's not, you know, oh, is that right? Is that appropriate? I don't know. Well, should we? Should we not? I don't you, you read the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon is a sex guide, literally. The, do you know that they actually had to clean up? The Bible translators from the original Hebrew did their best to clean up a lot of the language that's in the original text because it's actually, it made them blush. And they thought, we can't put this in a Christian document. But look, again, go back to God's original intention. God is very pro-sex inside the, the, the relationship of man and woman. Now, look. This Only the man and the woman. Yes, we talked about that in week one. No third one. party. <laughs> right, no third party. <laughs> well, that, there is that, that new thing now where people are switching. Switching lives. Switch, uh, open marriages. Open this marriages. is a new thing. Uh, we have a, my, I have a cousin that uh, actually talked about this. Her friend, she didn't do it. Her friend did it. Disaster. They thought, well, let's do this. open marriage. We'll go and sleep with people. If we want to sleep with people, we'll come back together. It'll be all right, and we'll have this agreement. It lasted one year. Divorce. Done. Finished. The woman went out, had sex with another man, fell in love. Gone. Finished. Sex is powerful. It's powerful. That's why you got to keep it in control. You have to keep it in the boundaries of God's word. Now, one thing that we need to tell you. A man ultimately needs sex from his wife. Ultimately, that's true. It's a need. Last week, what did we talk about? 
a woman needs a man to communicate with. In communicating with her, the man wins her heart. And hear me, guys. The way to get to sex is to go through her heart. That's a fact. It, you can't expect any other way. Ladies, the way to his, to the way to his heart is through sex. <laughs> this idea that it's through his stomach, not true. Through your stomach. No, no. Like food. <laughs> I do like food, but still, it <laughs> is the way to a man's emotions. Because a woman opens up emotionally through communication and talking and sharing. A man opens up emotionally through sex. It's just that true. Now, isn't it amazing how God made us completely opposites in that, uh, in that department? It's like, why, why didn't God just make us both after sex? You know, or both <laughs> after communication and togetherness and emotional connection. And we think like, well, God has it wrong. What was God thinking? He made it so hard. No, no, no. God knew exactly what he was doing. Because here's what we have to do in the marriage relationship. In order, men, for you to get sex, you have to connect here, heart to heart. And ladies, in order for you to connect heart to heart, you have to give sex. And it's created that we're created that way. Here's why. So that we both learn to lay down what we want first for the sake of the other and understand in doing that, we get back from that experience. Death by marriage, laying down our lives. We sang a song tonight, lay me down, lay me down. I am not my own. Husbands, you don't belong to you. You belong to your wife. Wives, you don't belong to you. You belong to your husband. And by learning to lay ourselves down for each other, we are discipled in Christ. This is why I said in week one that marriage is the ultimate discipleship program. It, it costs, it causes you, it demands of you to set aside your own wants, needs, and desires for the sake of somebody else, sexually, emotionally, whatever you want. And then in doing so, you learn that they give back to you. It's how God designed it to be so that we wouldn't be so stinking selfish all the time. Amen, somebody. And that's a perfect, perfect situation. Now, um, there are ladies, and there might be some here in this room, and you're giving sex without the commitment of marriage. And, you know, you probably think, oh, you're against me. God's against me. Oh, I know. This is going to hurt. Look, you're not hurting me, and you're not hurting Cheryl, and you're not hurting this church, and you're not hurting God. You're hurting you. You're hurting you. Because giving sex without commitment, it's like giving a contractor the money before he does the job. And if you, you, you hire a contractor to build you a house, and he says it's going to cost you $250,000 to build this house, I need the money now. And if you, in your idiotcy, give him the money up front, you will never see that contractor again. And the house will never get built. There are women all over America buying into the feminization lie that you're supposed to be just as sexual as they are, and it's your right, and it's the way to become more like them. No, you're made different. God made you different, and God made you awesome in your differences. Men like it that you're different. We love it that it's the challenge to win your heart, ultimately to gain that intimacy with you. We are designed that way. 
But there's no intimacy where there's not exclusivity and commitment in the bonds of marriage. My advice, stop and say, you ain't getting nothing until I get my ring <laughs> from this day forward. Amen. We're here to help you. This is here to help you, understand? We're here to help you. We're not here to judge you. We're not here to say you're bad, filthy sinners. No. We're here to help you. God made you. And he knows exactly how you're wired and what you need. Yeah, Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.